Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, and welcome to this edition of World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today, we're looking at Brazil and the controversial presidency of Jair Bolsonaro. Our Sao Paulo correspondent, Andres Schipani, is here in London for the week, and he joins me in the studio, as does our Latin America editor, Michael Stott. Andres, first... How is Bolsonaro doing? I mean, he obviously made a lot of headlines when he came in, a controversial campaign. We're a few months into the presidency, and I gather his popularity ratings have gone down quite sharply. They did indeed. Essentially, when he took office, right before he took office on January 1st, I mean, the latest polls were saying around 64% of Brazilians were expecting him to do a great job, and the current readings are about 30%. This during the supposedly honeymoon period, so in five months into his administration. And how do you explain that? Let's go back a bit and why was he elected. I mean, there was a lot of disenchantment with the traditional parties after a string of corruption scandals. Uh, the economy was slimping out of a very brutal recession. So, again, there was a lot of disenchantment in general with the political class. And so people were really angry. He was something different. He was sort of like seeing as the wrecking ball of the Brazilian system. So he always had a 15, 20% staunch right-wing power base, mainly the evangelicals, which in Brazil are huge ranchers, people of all sorts involved in the agricultural business, and people who are pro-gun. One of Bolsonaro's main campaign promises, which actually he's delivering on, is to allow people to have guns. Pretty much like the NRA in the United States, the same sort of rhetoric. So it seems like he's going back now after this angry vote that made 58 million Brazilians voting for him in total in October last year. And he's shrinking back to his original power base of 15, 20 percent of the Brazilian electorate. And I think one of the key issues is... Again, there was a lot of noise during the campaign. It polarised the country very much. And he's still polarising the country. And I think... What people are realizing is, okay, there was a lot of shouting, there was a lot of talk, but we're actually stacking policy paralysis. So whatever needs to be done is not being done. Crucially, a reform of the pension system. And the rest is just, he's too focused on culture wars, what he calls erasing cultural Marxism, sort of like from the face of Brazil. So he's particularly focused on issues like, say, gay rights and so on, rather than fixing the economy, is what you're saying. Christianity, so this idea that Brazil is part of this. I mean, that's not him personally, but his intellectual guru, like the West, sort of like saviors of Christianity and the West. You have to think that the government is split into three, three, four tribes. One is Bolsonaro himself and his family, his close retinue, the foreign minister, the education minister, and his intellectual guru who lives in the US, who's very close to Steve Bannon. So those are essentially focused on, on, on this idea of that Brazil is part of the West, very aligned with, with the Trump administration in the United States, and is essentially pro-gun, anti-abortion, Christian family values. But not making so much progress, Michael, then, on the other issues, the economic reform and the sorting out the Brazilian political mess, which Andrew said maybe a lot of the floating voters went for Bolsonaro on. I mean, where do things stand 
on this question of pension reform and how important is it if Bolsonaro is really to succeed? So I think, Gideon, it's crucial. I mean, the pension reform is the single biggest thing institutional investors are looking for. Brazil has a very large deficit, which it needs to fix, and pension reform is one of the keys to fixing that. It's a reform which has been on the table in Brazil for a very, very long time. Many presidents have come and gone and have failed to do it. There's a sense that Bolsonaro has a chance on this one, I think. He's under enormous pressure. There is some public support for it. It's seen as a very inequitable system, the current pension system, which favours government employees over employees in the private sector. Is it the usual things, <clears throat> extremely generous and people retire generous very early? Generous early retirement and exactly. such, yeah, yeah. which creates resentment. So interestingly, there were some pro-Bolsonaro demonstrations this week, and some of the demonstrators were actually carrying placards saying they supported the pension reform. Now, pension reform is not usually something that gets people out on the streets mm -hmm. in countries. So that was an interesting indicator that there is some public support for it as well. And you think it's not a lost cause because I myself was in Brazil in February and saw both the head of the Congress and the finance minister speak. And they seemed, this is now a couple of months ago, but reasonably confident that it would get through in some form in the autumn? I think the key is that in some form, we think it will come through, but the difficulty is how far it will be watered down as it gets through Congress. Because Bolsonaro, of course, we shouldn't forget, doesn't have a majority in Congress. He has to negotiate with Congress, which in the Brazilian system is very powerful. And he's not proved especially good at it so far. So he's got to stitch together some kind of coalition of lawmakers, which will allow him to get through pension form in a shape that's still robust enough to deliver at least some of the savings that the government's projected. And Andres, I mean, how much is this down to the president himself? Or could he just delegate this to a competent technocrat like the finance minister who would do all the hard work? Increasingly, that's happening. I mean, the original idea was like, no, we have nothing to do with what they call the old politics, sort of like horse trading and pork barreling. We're going to do something completely different. But the Brazilian Congress, as Michael was saying, is very powerful and very unwieldy over 30 parties right now represented there. So this government has proven quite ineffective in building the coalition. Neither actually, they've been losing support. But as you say, Paulo Guedes, the finance minister, has sort of like taken the reins of this directly with the Speaker of the Lower House of Congress, who is also very aligned with the President of the Senate. And they've been essentially negotiating directly. I saw the President of the Senate and the House Speaker about 10 days ago. And they said, this is going to pass. We don't know if it's going to be July, September. Analysts are saying, well, you have to think that this is a constitutional reform because the pension system is in the constitution. So it requires 308 votes out of 513 deputies in the lower chamber. So it requires a lot of manoeuvring from the government. So now that the finance minister is directly negotiating with both houses, as Michael was saying, it will see the light of day. The thing is, the finance minister was shooting for one trillion reais in savings, public savings. And now the talk is like, well, it could go down to 700 billion. So let's see what's taken out and what's left. But probably by the end of the year, we'll have some version of the pension reform, a pension reform. And that would be a big prize, Michael. But I guess that's to do with the long term health of the economy, the stability of public finances. But meanwhile, as Andres said, Brazil has had this terrible five-year recession. Wouldn't it be coming out of it in the natural course of things anyway? I mean, how's the economy doing? Well, they've been helped, of course, by the trade war. Brazilian farmers have been one of the big beneficiaries of the US-China trade war. As China has cut last year its purchases of US soybeans by half, 
Brazilian farmers have stepped in to fill the gap. And last year, Brazilian soybean exports were up 30%. So they've benefited in a very big way from this. That's created quite an awkward political dilemma for Bolsonaro, because, of course, in the campaign, he was very anti-Chinese, some very strong anti-China rhetoric. He actually said at one point in the campaign, you know, Beijing is not buying in Brazil, they're buying Brazil. And we have to put a stop to this. The Chinese were quite concerned by that. And in fact, last week, his vice president, Hamilton Morau, the powerful military former general, visited Beijing and was accorded the rare honour of an audience with Xi Jinping for a vice president, a rare honour. Uh, she saw him personally and they discussed relations between the two countries. And it was seen as an attempt by Morau to sort of patch up the relationship with China and reassure the Chinese, keep them on side. They're, of course, Brazil's biggest trading partner now. They're one of the biggest investors and Chinese investment fell quite sharply last year on the back of this rhetoric, which Brazil can ill afford. So that was quite an interesting dynamic there of the vice president playing a key role in foreign policy and trying to balance the sort of nationalist strident tones of Bolsonaro with some much more practical sort of business friendly relationship building with the key trade partner. And that is a deep tension, isn't it, within the administration between, if you like, the pragmatists around the vice president and the culture war people around the president. How long can that last, Andres? Well, that's one of the key questions. Uh, I think, again, as I said before, you have about three, four tribes, let's call them that way, within the government, the more the, the culture war crusaders, as you say. Then you have the generals, including the vice president, Morel, who are very pragmatic, so very much less ideological than the president and his family and the foreign minister. And then you have more like the technocrats, like the finance minister and the justice minister. Those are the main three ones. So there's this tension, indeed, between the culture workers haters, and the generals, because they have sort of like double competences. For example, now the foreign ministry is focused on handling the U.S. After Bolsonaro's visit to Washington in March, where he was very well received by Donald Trump, and that's what they actually want. They're very closely associated with Viktor Orban in Hungary, with Benjamin Netanyahu in Israel, and with Donald Trump. In the U.S., some of them they met with Matteo Salvini in Italy recently, and some people within that circle, parts of the family, their intellectual guru, they've been attacking the generals publicly, especially on Twitter, because much like the US. I, I want to say attacking <laughs> the generals, attacking members of, their, of the president's own administration. So the, Not the, that much. It's actually more the president's own circle attacking the generals. Yeah, yeah. By Twitter. And that created tensions, which also was hampering negotiations with Congress and passing crucial reforms. So... But now you see it's okay. The foreign minister is mainly focused on dealing with fellow nationalists, while the vice president, as Michael was saying, is much more pragmatic. He wants to strike a balance between the US and China. He's also handling relations with Russia because he's the head of the bilateral commission with Russia and with China. So he has taken the reins on, okay, let's not have ideology destroying a partnership. That's such an important partnership. Okay, just quickly switching tack, Andres. I know you've been up to the Amazon quite recently, and one of the things that's attracted a lot of international attention has been this concern that Bolsonaro will let farmers, ranchers off the leash and start chopping down a lot more of the Amazon. What were your findings there? I went on a week-long trip to visit an indigenous tribe, literally in the heart of the Amazon. And there's a lot of anxiety because they don't know what's going to happen. So legally, the indigenous groups, over 300 of them, they have protected areas. So by law, the areas that they are defined, that these people have to live there, these ethnic groups have to live there, 
and they can essentially take advantage of the rainforest that they have been doing for centuries. So now the concern is Bolsonaro himself have attacked this idea of them being sort of like caged up in protected areas, in reserve areas. That's how he portrays it. Yes. And so they said, okay, they're people just like us. They want development. So there's this battle now. Everything's very unclear. He also associates indigenous groups with NGOs who are one of Bolsonaro's main enemies. And they're part of this cultural Marxism rhetoric and environmentalists. They put them all together. So the idea is, okay, why don't we open, not all, but some of these areas for economic development, commercial development, mining, agriculture, the fear is that deforestation could keep advancing. It goes up and down, but essentially a chunk of the Amazon has been chopped down in the past 10 or 12 years. And the fear is if they change the law and if they actually make the move, and as you say, unleashing ranchers and loggers and miners, the rainforest could be wiped out of the earth and contributing to climate change and so on and so forth. This is a very big debate. Again, there's so much noise in Brazil that it sometimes goes off the agenda, but essentially it's one of these overarching themes. But again, going back to the Amazon, there was a lot of anxiety among indigenous groups who said, OK, if we have to stand up to this government, we will. And that seems to be echoed by most of the ethnic groups in the Brazilian Amazon. So for the moment, though, it's still kind of quite finely poised that Bolsonaro has made all these noises. The Amazonian tribes are sort of gearing up to resist, but we don't quite know where it's going to go. No, because there's a lot... There's a lot of policy paralysis. So some things he can do by decree, like, for example, loosening gun controls, and he's done that. He's issued two decrees on that, one in January and one a couple of weeks ago. The concerns that the second decree has some bits there that are illegal when it comes to gun ownership. But the Amazon less. less. But the Amazon less. So they try to strip off competences from the justice ministry, especially when it came to the rights of the indigenous people moving then under the agriculture ministry especially when it comes to demarcation of indigenous reserves, which was obviously contentious because, I mean, the agriculture ministry essentially is there to serve the interest, that's what could you say, of the agribusiness industry. Sure. So it's, it's still up in there, but the tension remains. And as you said, the pressure is increasing into the Amazon. So if you unleash them, it's really hard to tie them back. Okay. And finally, Michael, I mean, let's just put this in some sort of international context. Obviously, the intricacies of what's happening inside Brazil are kind of fascinating, but Brazil is also a big international player. I mean, it's a country of over 200 million people. Mm -hmm. So what do you think, it's a big question, but what do you think the international significance of the success or failure of Bolsonaro is? I mean, he's closely associated with Trump. He's known as the tropical Trump, although you might argue that Duterte in the Philippines is a contender for that title as well. So in that sense, his success or failure will be judged along with the other Trumpian leaders around the world. And I think one of the difficulties for the Trumpian leaders is that while they might be aligned in terms of rhetoric and political values, they're not much help to each other. So Bolsonaro beat a path to Washington in March. It was his first foreign visit. There was lots of warm words, lots of embraces and, and lots of talk. But actually converting that into something that will benefit Brazil and Brazilians is a lot more difficult. And as we've just noted, that some of the main economic interests are actually more closely aligned with China. So I think the problem for Bolsonaro is that even a warm relationship with Trump may not actually deliver anything for him, which is going to help him domestically. And I think that may be one of the difficulties. OK, well, six months in and it's already a lot has happened, but we'll leave it there for now. And I'm sure we'll return to the subject at some point. So thank you very much for now, Michael Stott and Andrew Shapani. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.